We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Chase Parham, Brian Rippey here with you. On uh, from a podcast standpoint, getting this on Thursday morning, we'll have a normal schedule back for you uh, starting next week. Taking a little time off around the fourth. Brian's got a couple shows coming out this week, so still content coming on the NPW Digital Network after the uh, the break for the Fourth of July. Hope all of you had a a safe and wonderful fourth. No firework accidents, nothing like that to uh, to mess up your your long weekend there. But uh, we'll talk some some sports stuff. Baseball draft a few days away. It is the uh, it's kind of the deadest week of the year, but it's okay. Still with you. Got a podcast coming here. A podcast brought to you every day by the Oxford Exxon Highway Six West in Oxford. You know about the Blue Sky locations for the donuts, those in Clinton and Brookhaven, homemade every day. A lot of flavors, a lot of variety at those two places. They're gonna be statewide eventually, but right now, Brookhaven and Clinton for the donuts, ribs, lunch specials, and more here locally. Hopefully, you took advantage of the rib special for the uh, Oxford Exxon. You got a slab or two, some sides for Fourth of July. Maybe you took advantage of that. You guys always help us out there and support our uh, partners here with NPW Digital. Also coming to you from the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900, Amory, Mississippi, Highway 25 South. Corey wants to be your car guy, wants to be your truck guy. He will hook you up. No matter where you are in the car buying process, give Corey a call and let him help you. Brian, joining us on the My Perfect Franchise hotline, My Perfect Franchise with Andy Ludicky. If you're trying to get into business for yourself, let him help you out there with franchise possibilities again the my purpose my perfect franchise hotline on that and then we haven't mentioned it much but uh you've probably seen us wearing some of the uh the threads we've got a a great partnership going with genteel apparel local company here in oxford great polos got quarter zips you know how i love a a good quarter zip you got those options on uh on the website on uh, the message board you can find the link but if you don't not around there go to genteelapparel.com slash collections slash mpw dash digital that is how you get there you see all of our different options a lot of polos a lot of quarter zips a lot of stuff there from gen teal brian uh you uh you, you've got a good selection of the, of, the, of the pullovers and things you can actually wear them to work you're you're, you're the only one of us ha- that actually gets out in the office has the head on in and and, and kind of 
report to the man on the nine to five. They're awesome. Um, you're exactly right about that. Like it helped me out with some of my work apparel. And then even in the summer, my office for whatever reason is like an iceberg. So despite it being a hundred degrees out, outside, I kind of need the quarter zip pretty much year round because whoever runs the thermostat at the office is just like, we will try to freeze some people to death. So I'm a year round quarter zip guy. It helped a lot. I wore it to, uh, I think I showed up at a buddy's wedding in Houston a couple weekends ago. I happened to be wearing one of the MPW shirts when I hopped off the plane straight from work. Didn't really have a ton of time to go like change at our hotel. So I just rocked the MPW stuff in my work attire out and people are like, what's that going on? What do you got here? And I was like, well, I have a clothing line now that uh, sponsors me. So uh, I cannot just wear anything like you schmucks. I, uh, I have to, you know, get some input from my clothing people. But they love the logo. I'm going to send them a couple of my buddies some stuff. Uh, you guys did good with that one. It's a great product. It's a great shirt, obviously. But y'all's logo is very appealing. Like it fits well on a, a shirt like that. So uh, things are well in the uh, wardrobe corner of the Rippy household right now because of Genteel. So you straight up wear them in the morning to start. You don't just like throw a couple over your office chair and put them on when you get cold or something. You're you're headed out of the house with them on. Well, if I were smart and actually planned ahead, I would probably just leave one or two at the office. But what it usually involves is me wearing normal clothing, going to like morning meetings and stuff, and then realizing for the 50th time, wow, it's cold in here. So I'll go grab a quarter zip at lunch and bring it back from lunch. But yes, I should probably keep a couple in the office. Funny you say that. I was uh, last Friday, I was meeting with a dentist that was potentially wanting to sell to the company I work for. And he was like, that's a very interesting logo. What is that? And I said, well, long story, kind of gave him the whole spiel and then just kind of got the flex on this dentist. That's like, yeah, I got a clothing guy. Not a big deal. It's a side hustle, but uh, I'll wear free stuff. And he's like, that's pretty awesome. I was like, yeah, it is, ma'am. I'll get you one. So speaking of a uh, of threads, you're a little younger than me. Are you are, are you downloading this uh, this Twitter competitor, this Instagram thing that Zuckerberg's got cooking? What what what's what's going on here? So can you fill me in on this? I saw about 45 minutes before we started recording a couple of tweets as I had a little bit of downtime of whatever this competitor thing is. I don't know much about it. I do know is someone who always kind of dumps on people who are protect perpetually online and like can't go a day without Twitter. I still do check it a lot. And I woke up on Saturday morning and thought something was wrong with my cell phone or something was wrong with like the apps I had downloaded because I got to the, uh, what was it called? Limp, whatever the limit was that Elon Musk put on because of some data thing that I don't understand. Have we already seen a competitor pop up out of Twitter's mismanagement of whatever their data is? What's actually going on here? Well, it's been coming for a while. You know, Facebook or Meta or whatever bought Instagram. So Zuckerberg is getting into the uh, the Twitter game if you will, with a, uh, a competitor for Twitter. He's calling it Threads, and it's uh, it's built by Instagram, as they called it, and it's basically an app of real-time public conversations with one another, very much just, uh, yeah, I guess it helps boost Instagram, is the way the New York Times um, pointed out, said, quote, the idea is to hopefully build an open, friendly space for communities. It is absolutely just a uh, a, a an Instagram-backed competitor to Twitter. So it is going to be text-based, it is going to be very, very, very similar to uh, to Twitter. It says uh, it looks nearly identical. Users post mostly text-based messages to a scrolling feed where people who follow them and whom they follow can reply. They can post photos and videos. Um, it does not even have direct messaging right now, which Twitter obviously does, and that's a huge deal for people to get in touch in different ways. Um, it said it may add features if people ask for them. 
But um, so it appears to at least currently be a Zuckerberg backed competitor to Twitter that does not have at least currently the same functions that Twitter has. Although the way it's going, Musk seems to be taking away a lot of functionality to Twitter unless you uh, you buy the blue check mark. So what's been going on in this whole space? Because I can't really keep up with everything that's happening with these whole new social media apps where like the latest news I saw, I would say from the tech nerd world was that uh, Zuckerberg and Musk were going to physically combat each other in a cage match. I don't know if you saw that piece of it. And now it's gone from that to launching a competitor. So I don't know. I guess I'll look into it. I will say like when these alternate social media platforms kind of started coming out around a year or two ago, like true social and all that, I never really even entertain. I'm usually pretty late to social media. I was one of the last people I would say in my friend group at that age to get an Instagram. Wasn't really that active on Twitter until it became some, some way I somehow made it uh, a part of how I get uh, earned my living for quite a while, which I couldn't say was a wise investment, but like that forced me to Twitter not really a huge Facebook guy other than posting articles, but I guess on like a somewhat serious note, you and Neil are always pretty good about remaining on the cutting edge of different ways to market the Oxford Exxon podcast. And it's kind of almost funny to call it a podcast now because you guys have a live feed on YouTube. Y'all put it on video in different ways. Have you considered the idea? You've seen these uber successful, uber large audience people who have now been kicked from network TV. I guess Tucker Carlson's the poster child of it, but start posting their podcasts on Twitter. Have you guys kicked the tires on that at all? I know it's kind of become a little bit of a joke, but it's like, it seems like the people that know how to make money in this broken industry are kind of trending that way. And to me that registered more on the legitimacy scale of like Substack and stuff like that, as opposed to like, what is this whack ass truth social thing? If y'all kick the tires on posting that on Twitter at all and having your podcast on Twitter. What's you as a combination of two things. It's number one, where do you get the best ad rate revenue back at you? So like, where can you put it that makes sense? Do you just put it everywhere at once and let people find you or whatnot? What what we like about YouTube and this, this dovetails into frankly a conversation we can have and a conversation that Neil and I will probably have on the podcast next week when we return with our normal programming and our scheduled hours is just figuring out the relationship between the podcast and the website and how to meet everybody in the places that we should meet them. You know, what what I like about YouTube is that when you use one place, and 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 it's one of the reasons, there's there's two reasons. One, YouTube, just in full disclosure, gives us better ad rates than the other options for live streaming uh, as far as people clicking our content, the ads that are on the content through YouTube and that kind of stuff. Um, But then two, when you have a centralized location, it creates the most conversation in one place and lets your community all work in one spot for each other. You know, if we're on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube all live simultaneously, well, you've got three different conversations going at once. You know, you're, you're diluting your engagement from your audience to each other and to us at the same time. So what I like about YouTube is that we're just pointing everybody into one place and going, hey, go here, hang out. We'll read your comments. We'll react with you in real time. Let's have fun. Let's be informative. Let's let's have a party every morning around 8, 8, 15 with whatever is going on. And I mean, you know, it's it, it's become such a cool thing. I mean, you know, we've we've developed real relationships and friendships with people through those streams and the people that, that hang out with us. I mean, I get Christmas cards from some of the people that, that listen and follow us in the stream every day. It's been it's been a really cool part of NPW Digital is 
you know, it, it's not, it's nowhere close to the numbers that our podcast brings in daily or weekly or anything else. It's, it's very, very small segment that wants to watch us live and has the ability to watch us live at eight o'clock in the morning. You know, a lot of people are working, they can't use headphones. I mean, there's a, it's a subsect from, from that standpoint, but no, I really like the, uh, the engagement in the community that it builds. And I'm open to anywhere that brings us the most possibilities for people to show up there. And right now it feels like YouTube is that place, you know, Twitter is really not as used the way we think because it's a lot of the same people just kind of talking to each other um, more than anything else. So I, I don't know that we're big enough to make Twitter work for us. YouTube seems to work better for what we're trying to accomplish, but no, that's, that's a hundred percent of thing. I mean, you know, not to necessarily spend a lot of time on a competitor, but you know, Andy Staples jumps over to on three great writer, but I don't know that he's writing much. I think he's doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of talking head stuff. I think that's going to be really centered around, around content. Cause that's where we are today. I mean, you know, the number of people that listen to podcasts, listen to audio books, we've constantly got AirPods in our ears and we're just walking around doing whatever. And it's why I appreciate everybody so much. I mean, I say this all the time and I'm not really trying to be sentimental on today's show, but at the same time, there's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. So anybody who takes the time every day or weekly or whatever to to choose our content, that's not choosing a lot of different options. And I think I'm really, really appreciative of uh, of that and recognize that at the same time. So, no, look, you've got to always be moving. you got to always be figuring out what's next, where's the place to go. But you can't jump too quickly, and you got to make sure everybody can either find you or wants to find want wants to find you when you do it. Um you know, when when uh, when SoundCloud was down a couple of years ago, when that was the way we hosted our site, we had to move over to Spotify for a little bit. And, you know, just humans in general, we don't like changing. We don't like moving somewhere else. Even then, it was kind of a weird deal where a lot of people didn't want to go to Spotify to pick up the podcast and the numbers went down for a little while. So I'm always hesitant to jump on something too quick. You've got to kind of prove it to me in a lot of those ways. And I've been pretty happy for the most part. Now I've got some issues with them, but for the most part, I've been pretty happy with YouTube's functionality in that space. And, you know, Neil and I had a conversation today about what are we doing post-game after football games. We've done the live show for several years. It's really popular. It does well. You guys are absolutely going to get um, a podcast when games are over. Let's recap in that way. But at the same time, we can't neglect the website. We can't neglect our readers the people that are over there that have been with us for so long too. So, I mean, we had a lot of conversations today about, you know, what, what our manpower looks like, who, who can do what and how we sort of find ways to, uh, to meet all of our listeners and our readers and our subscribers in the places they want to meet us, whether it be the written word or podcast or live streams after those shows on Saturday night. So we're, you know, really kind of spending July to get all that stuff in place prior to uh, prior to September the 2nd when they play Mercer. It really is a constant evolution with the amount of different stuff that's kind of thrown at you. Like you guys, at your base level, you mentioned you have listeners, you have followers, and you have readers. And the idea is to kind of figure out what's the best way to reach as many of them as possible. But it's even just crazy in the last five years, the amount of new avenues. Some probably ended up being complete and total BS that were not worth getting into. And I think that probably speaks to your point about like patience and not diving into something too soon. But it's just... It's very interesting to me how quickly these different things evolve and the way that you and Neil have been able to have success and kind of constantly evolve. And it's it almost feels like you're gambling in some perspectives, like you've made the right investments in the right places because there's just more options than ever to go try to reach people and which ones are worth your time and which ones aren't. 
you know, some of it's a little bit common sense. Some of it's a little bit like, well, what are our users actually do? Like, I, I don't think there's a ton of the message board that's probably on Truth Social or something like that. But it's like, <laughs> you know, how could we actually reach that many people on Twitter? And I just find that very, very fascinating because in an industry that's largely failing for the most part, I think it's made the cream rise to the top. I mean, not to continue to just shamelessly pat you guys on the back. I'm not asking for a raise <laughs> here, but the people that know how to monetize what they're doing have been rewarded than the other people that kind of just want a job at a legacy media outlet and not really have to worry about that. They've suffered where the people that realize, okay, I have this audience. I have this voice. I have this writing voice, whatever it is. How do I monetize it? Have been rewarded now more than ever. In some ways, it's a great time to be in that space. In other time, in other areas, in the kind of the mainstream piece of it, it's really not. But I think that's largely contingent on your ability to figure out how to monetize and adapt. And so much of it is, I mean, it's it's the thing we've really tried to do since day one. I mean, Neil was hired at Rivals in early 2008. Um, I was hired by Rivals in May of 2009, and then. The podcast started in its really bad primitive form in 2011, I think, and went daily in 2012 or 2013. We're coming up on uh, this November is 10 years with the Oxford Exxon and Craddock Oil as a as a partner. Um, wow. November is, is is 10 years with them as our title sponsor. Um, great relationships there, and I, I think that's the point. As you know, I, people have called us idiots at times because we probably didn't chase the most money we could have or done different things, but. Everything's built built around community because, as I said, so many listeners, so many followers that are with us every day to get, you know, Ole Miss sports, but also whatever we're doing in the day, whatever's going on around Oxford, what you're watching that night. There's so many parts of what we try to do with the podcast network, and I want to stay connected and close to the people um, in, in all different ways. So that comes has to do with topics, has to do where they try to find us. Feels like an infomercial today. It's not really necessarily what the podcast is going to be, but it's where we're all going at the moment. But I, I, I think it's relevant because I think it's also relevant in our sponsors. You know, we could have done more out of region sponsors earlier. We could have done some different things to uh, try to get into some higher CPMs and things like that. Not to get off into jargon too much, but I really like that the bulk of our sponsors are products we use, people we know, people around town, people around the state, people around the area where. There is some trust built up in that because I've told advertisers no, where I don't like their products or the product doesn't make sense for us or it just doesn't work in one way or the other. That for the most part, it's not just simply that we know the person or they paid a little money or they did all this to be an advertiser. It's that it's things we use. It's it's absolutely something we're putting a certain stamp on with our uh, with, with our business and telling people, hey, if you go here, you're going to get this experience. You're going to get this product. You're going to be able to do this. These people can be trusted in all these different ways. And then now, you know, it kind of shows where we were. We also have now partnered up with Blue Wire. They don't take over the podcast by any means, but they've been a great national ad partner um, for us that have done a lot of things. But, you know, what's being used day to day? Well, a lot more people are going to go potentially talk to Clark Ford or go talk to, you know, go buy some shrimp or do all these from prime shrimp or all these different things versus, hey, stamps.com or true car. Or let me tell you about this for 30, you know, go get a discover card and nothing against those. I mean, if that's, if that's the ad on the front of the show, God bless you. But you know what I mean? Like there is a certain personal, personal nature to so much of our advertising that is, no, we know that guy. We do business with that guy. We're telling you that you should do that because that's a great product with a great human being. Absolutely. And like, it's kind of, 
on a very much smaller scale, like the Skybox guys or guys that I've known for a long time. Hell, I have Greg on the show out of the time. Like if they have, I were ever faking it with LBs or Skybox, I feel like you could have told it at a certain point. And I feel like I've like if that was ever a question, that was quit pretty quickly put to bed. One of the things that's fascinating to me about the whole thing is too, is you guys having ownership of what you do. Um, the podcast network, MPW Digital, like that's y'all's product. That's something y'all created. Y'all own it. You know. Well, I don't know the actual legal term there, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's it's you directly benefit from it. There's really no outside parties. And one of the things that was interesting to me was I was very fortunate to catch on with you guys in 2021. About four, three, four months into that, there was an entity. I'm not probably won't name names, but you could probably guess who it is that wanted me to go back in the reporting world and start working for them. And I didn't have a ton of uh, interest in going back in the reporting world full time at that point. But another piece of it was, it's like, oh, you got this podcast. You benefited a ton from the audience that you guys like helped me help provide me when we started partnering together. But I was like, it was mine. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't really have to go buy anyone. You guys kind of let me do whatever I want with it. And with this opportunity that was coming up, Neil called me. And I don't think he'd mind me sharing this, but was like, I wouldn't lose sight of how significant that piece of it is because if like something comes in and some other company starts owning your podcast the whole dynamic changes and i would just be curious like do you guys feel more motivated to continue to evolve and do other things you're doing because it is kind of your baby for the lack of a better word and something you created yeah on a cold different fronts i mean number one i mean it's 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 basic business that something that you're not having to share with other people or you know whatever that you're not you're you know that if you really put effort and sweat equity and you take gambles and they work. Well, they're, they're, you're the one profiting from it. You're the one on the on the positive side of that. And then it's, there's also look, there's a there's a positive and an adrenaline to hey, take some chances that don't work. And if it doesn't work, that's on you too, and that's okay. I, I do think that I mean, look, there's plenty of ways that we need to get better. I, I think I mean I'm not going to run them all out here for competitors to hear or anything else, but you know I've got kind of a punch list over here of things that in July and August I want to be better with this network by the time September gets here for football season. That's sort of what I use the summer for. Is I look at it and go, okay, what works, what doesn't work, what needs to be there, what doesn't need to be there. How do we how do we reach more people? How do we get more eyeballs? How do we let people see us that makes sense? And I think some of the changes are going to be fairly significant. I know and not in a bad way. I mean user experience is going to be user experience. Everybody's going to be able to find us everywhere you find us, but I do have some goals and some plans to to get more eyeballs and things on the podcast. And yeah, there's a there's a pride element to it. I mean, you know, there we've we've been approached. Neil and I have been approached over the years by people with different things, and a lot of them want the podcast. And then once they realize, hey, podcast didn't for sale, that's not the way that works. We're not we're not open to that. It kind of goes away, and it's like, no, that's just kind of what we wanted the podcast. And because you know, there's a school of thought. It's like, what do you actually have? Well, I mean, you have a lot. You have it's not just a logo. It's it's an identity. It's um it's a consistency that's been going for a long time. Um, it's Neil and I have been together for a while. We bring on quality people uh, like you that we, we we trust and we like, and we we know we're providing good products. And then, you know, from a real tangible sense, it's an it's an RSS feed that has thousands and thousands of subscribers. That when something goes into that RSS feed, they automatically get it to their phone. That is pretty valuable. That would be worth something on an open market to have that type of thing. I mean, that's the that's the podcast version of when we you know was it was it SEC country or somebody had all the yeah. Facebook people and then when they died people were like buying up their Facebook pages because it had all the followers and all the likes and all the stuff and I mean that's you know th- that's a huge deal because in in today's world the algorithm kind of going full circle on the social media thing 
doesn't make it where you can build Facebook pages the same way. It's much harder to build Facebook pages through followers compared to when 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 that that era was going on. So those things are very valuable. I think because of the number of podcasts that are out there today, it would be a totally different dynamic on July 5th, 2023 to start a podcast from scratch and go, I'm just going to build this network up and get thousands and thousands and thousands of subscribers. Well, no, that's very hard to do. That's incredibly that hard impossible to do. Now. Yeah, that, 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 that's almost an impossibility. So having that and being with you guys for so long and building up that RSS feed, there is a very much a tangible thing to that product, but it's also a responsibility because so many of you guys get these podcasts to you every day and you're hit, you're listening and you're sticking with us. You're doing all those things. So yeah. Uh, however, however threads turned into this, that's definitely the, uh, the answer there for, uh, for sure. Speaking of the podcast, you've, uh, you've got Colin on, you'll talk some baseball, you talk some draft that's coming up on Sunday night for the first round, six o'clock, um, for the first pick Ole Miss with several, uh, well, a current player, Got some two current players uh possibilities on uh Sunday night and then some uh some prospect stuff too. Ole Miss uh trying to hang on to its uh its signing class. They're gonna lose Josh Noth. He's gonna sign. Xander Muth looks like he's probably signing. He's getting some uh some higher buzz. He's willing to take some money there in the uh the mid-second round or so. So the arms being uh decimated a little bit. Looks like all eyes on uh Cooper Pratt, the shortstop from Mag Heights from Oxford as he uh He's asking for uh, two million or just north of that. Some teams definitely on him there, and that is a coin flip at best for the Rebels. Don't don't give it away or anything, but just from a straight uh, sort of tease standpoint, where does Colin kind of see this uh, this signing class, this situation as Ole Miss heads into trying to rebuild this thing for twenty twenty four? I think pretty similar to pretty much what you just outlined, and then I know you wrote something for subs only on the board, and I think it pretty much mirrored that. It's just. We talked about to some degree, we talked about like a large scale draft thing, kind of NIL is somewhat eroding at the whole leverage year thing, where it's like if you're a guy junior and you're not a top round pick, like if you play at a major program and you're going to be a six round draft pick and you just normally in the past would just go because it's your leverage year, but they can offer you a somewhat NI, a competitive NIL package. And I'm not saying like I think well, where where Calvin Harris was slotted this like in this latest mock draft that I saw somewhere in the fifth round, about 400,000 bucks. Let's just go back around there too. And you're the 200, $300,000 type of guy in the past. You just take that because you don't have any other options and not that there's a bunch of programs out there that are going to pay you to come back and play college baseball at $200,000 for a season. But if it's even somewhere remotely competitive, that whole leverage year thing kind of changes because let's just say you're Calvin Harris and you get offered 200k and Ole Miss puts up a sing like a somewhat competitive NIL package you're gonna have a hell of a lot more fun playing college baseball for another year as opposed to going to a minor league you know getting in a minor league system and even if the money's not really the same the way you're affected as a senior is significantly different than the way it used to be and I found that piece of it I know that wasn't your question as far as the Ole Miss specific piece of it but we talked about that a lot to where this whole these guys have to go. It's their junior year. It's their leverage year. That's changing quite a bit, particularly at major programs where NIL is a possibility. It's. I'll be really curious to see it if teams or sorry players turn down. Yeah, I would say starting with about the sixth round, sixth through tenth teams that are paying slot for those spots. 
and you south get the, of like 300k is where I said. Well, I mean, here's an example: Dylan Delusha. Last year, he was taken in the sixth round by the Indians. I, I think that's right. Um, Dylan Delusha signed for two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, coming off his College World Series Most Outstanding Player deal. The whole the whole shooting match last year. You think when and nobody knew his arm was going to be, you know, Tommy John related here soon or anything like that. You don't think if Ole Miss had a budget of two million dollars for the year, they wouldn't have thought, "Hey, Dylan Delusha, two hundred and fifty to put him back on Friday night." You'd have to consider that. What about one hundred and eighty just to be a college baseball player again? Because how much money are you actually losing in the long run? You know what I mean? They don't even actually have to match because it. you're still getting drafted later, and you're going to lose leverage, obviously. But at the same time, you're still getting something. And having a much better next 365 days than you otherwise would being in a single A or a low all low ball A system. That's what's fascinating to me is like I think the colleges have the leverage in some senses. They don't actually have to like totally match it. Just get in the ballpark and beg, you want to come back and have fun? Or do you want to be, you know, taking a bus through Western North Carolina to your next city type of thing? It's something that we're not talking about enough, frankly, because you know, you saw it with Brandon Sprout last year. The Mets took Brandon Sprout. They could have paid him upwards of $900,000 without having to pay any more luxury tax. And we know the Mets spend. It's not like they would have been chewed off by hundred grand here or there by, by any stretch of the imagination. And instead, Florida was able to at least make him an offer to pause him and make him come back to Gainesville for that year. And with so many people involved in NIL, just all over the place, way different than last year, totally different game in, in, in every way. I don't think we know the answer to that. I think it's possible that they're on uh, on I guess Monday for the uh, you know rounds three through ten are, are on Monday rounds one and two on 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 Sunday three through ten on uh, Monday and then eleven through twenty on uh, Tuesday. I think on Monday you're going to start seeing and if guys start slipping down the board a little bit, they're not getting deals done. You're going to look up and go hmm, and they go no, a college is is absolutely at least making it possible that they're locking them down, that they're putting them. Uh, putting them in a, in a spot where they can come back to school. I think I, I'm really curious about that. And then the other thing I'm really curious about is there's a number of players that are in the portal who have chosen their schools, but they're also draft eligible. And the, the, the school and the portal is just a backup plan. It's they kind of intend to sign. They intend to do this. Like a kid from Florida Atlantic went into the portal this week. I'm forgetting his name, but really, uh, re- really high profile, successful player. And he's absolutely going pro. I think he's going to sign, but he's just looking into the portal, finding that backup plan that does a couple things. You know, if you pick the right school, it also puts leverage toward that professional team and goes, hey, look, if you don't pay me what I think I'm worth, I will absolutely go to Florida or Tennessee or Ole Miss or A&M or wherever. I mean, so, you know, let's go here. I'm in the portal. You see that, right? And there's a reason why the portal doesn't close until July 13th. The draft is 9, 10, 11. The portal doesn't close to the 13th. So you've got 48 hours after the draft even happens to potentially get a final round of kids in the portal. Because remember, that that 13th is just getting in. That's not picking your school. You don't have to pick your school until uh, until August gets here. Now, the alternative to that, and look, there's plenty of tampering. There's kids who are either just getting into the portal or not in the portal at all who already know exactly where they're going and their teams are already budgeting for them for next season. But the risk you run is you get in the portal and you waited so long that a lot of budgets are gone. They've already right. filled their budgets up from the NIL in a number of different ways. They simply can't afford you. And when that happens, I think, you know, there's definitely a, a gamble process to that. There's a way where you just don't know what's next. So, look, it's it's cat and mouse in a ton of different ways. Um, there's a lot of negatives. There's some positives. I'm kind of all over the place with my opinions of NIL and college baseball. 
You look at Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss sitting here right now, they've got five kids, two pitchers, shortstop, D2 kid who you don't know how it's going to translate. Um, they have the two bats I really like, and Andrew Fisher and Trayson Hughes. Hughes, an outfielder, played center at Mer- center field at Mercer, and then Fisher's going to play third base. Um, they're fantastic, but Ole Miss needs more. They need two, three, four more guys. They need arms. They need bats. They need all these different things. Well, in some ways, they don't know exactly what their NIL situation is because they don't know what Cooper Pratt's doing. They don't know if you, you know, potentially get lucky, even though I think Xander Muth is going to go pro. If he shows up, he's going to need some NIL. So, I mean, that's the other thing that just keeps being weird about the entire situation is that even as we're getting this late in the process and the draft is getting here and you're dealing with portal and all these different things, it's a very much a fluctuating salary cap. I think that most programs and players are all playing a shell game. They're lying to each other. And then you're hoping that it just works out for you individually in the end because not every offer is really an offer. Not every visit lined up is really a visit. And on the other side, the players aren't necessarily telling the coaches the, the truth either. So, I mean, it's it's a hell of a board game right now that everybody seems to be playing. And you spoke to the piece of it a second ago of like, you if as the player, you run the risk a little bit of waiting too long post-draft and then other people's NIL budgets are filled up. But the crazy part about this whole kind of cartel-ish we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Ecosystem that NIL is, is while yes, that's true, but let's say you're a player who waits, decides to come back to school, but hasn't committed to a school like once you got in the portal. Well, if their NIL budget 
is quote unquote full, those aren't really legally binding contracts. So if you're the better player, why would that program not tell the other kid that they previously agreed to some NIL amount and be like, actually, you're not getting that. Like, sorry, kick rocks. This other kid wants to come here now. You know what I mean? Like their hands are tied a little bit from their NIL budget, but there's nothing stopping them from like, again, I don't know the actual legal language of every NIL deal, but it's even more fluid because there's not a whole lot of, there's not a whole lot of ways that these programs, even if they commit to their NIL budget, that they can't just renege on that type of thing. Like it's very much just all like a spit shake handshake agreement. Like you could just really just tell a kid, like, I know we told you you're going to get this amount of money, but now this other kid wants to come here. So sorry, you're poorer. Like there, there's no really protections in place for that. So that almost makes it even more fluid and more chaotic in my opinion. Took a break in the podcast to tell you about Prime Shrimp. You can get seven different flavors delivered directly to your door. A couple of my favorites, the Signature, the New Orleans-style barbecue. They're great for salads. They're great for lunches, quick snacks, or even dinner to feed your family. The summer's pretty busy, so let Prime Shrimp take care of you. Again, with all those different flavors, few within 10 minutes, freezer to plate, and you get restaurant-quality shrimp. They also offer the uh, two-pound bags of individually frozen shrimp, a lot like was at the grocery store, except a higher-quality shrimp. From the New Orleans-based company, they're also available in Rouse's Markets if you have one of those nearby. But if you need a mail to you, we can help you out. You buy five pouches or more and use code RG and you get 25% off. That's code RG, 25% off, primeshrimp.com. Summer is here and Heavenly Sunshine Property would like to take the opportunity to remind you about the importance of taking care of your outdoor living spaces. Regular maintenance is key to preserving the beauty and integrity of your home or business, and one of the most effective ways to maintain is through power washing. Some of the key benefits include increased curb appeal, damage prevention, creating a healthier environment. It also saves you time and money. They've been serving the Mid-South and Oxford for over four decades. Their full-service commercial and residential property maintenance includes power washing, soft wash roof cleaning, facade cleaning, and window cleaning. Don't wait until it's too late. Contact Heavenly Sunshine today and get ready to enjoy a brighter, cleaner outdoor living space, heavenlysunshine.com or 662-342-1203. You get a free estimate. You can book that today. You can use code MPW10 for a 10% discount. Podcast also brought to you by Northeast Spark, N-E-S-P-A-R-C, service people across rural communities, two packages, the Ignite, the 100 Mbps, or the Blaze, the one gig that powers the Clark Ford Studio, your hometown team bringing you world-class broadband. That's any Spark. Dot com 662-238-3159. Get the best internet in Lafayette County, also parts of Union and Pontotoc counties for those who previously did not have internet. And then last but definitely not least, GNM Pharmacy 662-236-2222. They're right there on South Lamar and Oxford. They're my pharmacy. They deliver stuff to me every day. They do that for free. Free local delivery with G&M. Take care of all your pharmaceutical needs. They even help you transfer your medications. If you're using one of those big box pharmacies that doesn't care about you, switch to G&M. You make one phone call, they take care of the rest. Done, simple, easy with G&M in Oxford or Tyson Drugs in Holly Springs. Again, that's 662-236-2222. Did Jaden Rashada make that better for players by kind of outing the University of Florida and showing what could potentially happen when that when that occurs? Or is your point even more right that we're already forgetting about the fact and it's not even in the cycle anymore at all that Florida completely kind of screwed over this kid? I think the fact that there was light brought to it in kind of the aftermath of all of that, I think that probably ended up as a good thing. Um Back when I was trying to find an NIL guy to come on the podcast, I reached out to some guy who was like a law professor or something at Miami. 
And he was going to come on the podcast. I even ended up having that Jason Belzer guy, the Rutgers former athlete who was like big on the O'Bannon lawsuits because this other guy had to cancel on me. What I did not realize was the person I was talking to was Rashada's NIL guy. And the reason he had to cancel was just because shit had hit the fan with the whole Rashada situation at that point. And like looking back, I was like, man, that would have been a great podcast kit. But I also see why this guy canceled. He had a lot going on that week. And he came out of that thing not very looking very good. So I guess to answer your question, it'll probably end up being a good thing for the athlete that light was shown on that because there just aren't a whole. It's the same thing with the transfer portal. All those coaches love to say, you know, all these kids get in the portal, but they don't have homes. But the kid that gets in the portal thinking he's going to a better situation and he doesn't end up finding one, those stories aren't really advertised. So I think any sort of like somewhat public warning sign that like, hey, here's the other side of this, be careful, is probably ultimately good for the athlete. I mean, everything's somewhat good for the athlete right now. You know what I mean? I mean, we're in an athlete-first society. I mean, that just kind of is what it is. I mean, and he's – from what I understood, and you guys are probably know it better than I did. From what I understood of that situation, Rashada is, is like a very polite, well kept, like well to do kid whose entire situation got screwed up by the people handling him. Like he wasn't the Spencer Rattler on that QB documentary, like, man, this guy's kind of a douche. Or I'm trying to name another example. I honestly left that whole situation feeling very bad for what seemed like a good kid who'd been, I won't say misled but allowed people in his life to take over his situation and take it out of his control. That's the way I left that situation. You know, it's, it's this is going to sound like old man yelling at cloud, but just kind of kids in general, players in general, these situations as they go, players have the advantage in a number of different ways because of the free transfers and, and the NIL and everything that goes along with it. But at the same time, I do think that we're also getting into a little bit of, hey, these kids are going to make real world decisions. And sometimes those don't work out. You know, sometimes you get popped with a real world decision when you don't make a good one. I think that, you know, you lose out a number of different ways. So I, I do wonder as we get a little deeper into this, if if it's not, it's not really a course correction. I don't think that's fair because we got to put some guardrails in a number of ways because it's just not it's not going to make the sport survive at its roots. But at the same time, you know, look, I mean, a kid signs with and I and you know this is this is a bad example because we've got these collective. Well, take the collective though. I mean, you know, here's where the collectives are so genius. And I think Walker would tip his head here and say, "Hey, that's absolutely why though he did these things." When NIL was supposed to come out and the way NIL is actually supposed to be, not pay for play that it is now, it was businesses putting up whatever, and we all went, "Hey, what happens when?" so-and-so gets arrested or gets found on drugs or does all these different things. And that makes the business look bad. And they're the ones that did the sponsorship like the pros. Well, the collective is not in trouble when there's some morality issue with a player. The, you know, the collective is simply the arm that produces the, 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 the resources and monetary and otherwise for the school. I mean, it's, it was a no brainer because you put enough smart people in a room who are competitive. They're going to find every advantage. They're going to find ways to make things work out. But at the same time, it is fascinating that they found ways to remove all those kind of just negatives to that. You know, Chris Marshall gets kicked off Ole Miss's team, and nobody went, "Oh my God, can you believe the Grove Collective?" Well, no, it wasn't even a it wasn't even a topic at all. It, was it wasn't just even a, a topic. Burger. Yeah, it, it was. It's fascinating. It's like the, you mentioned the real world decisions with kids at that age. I joked with Colin earlier on the podcast we recorded for a hot time with you. Is like we were talking about like the kid 
that gets offered maybe like 600, 700,000 bucks out of high school versus go to college. Well, I, I was halfway joking when I said this. And again, I don't, I don't look at this from the worldview of like everyone had the same experience as me. I was very fortunate growing up, never really like longed for anything, never really was poor. And there was really not anything in my life that I was like, you know, I really want to do this, but we just can't do it. Now, at the same time, I didn't have like a credit card to like my trust fund or something like that. But so I felt feel like I fell somewhere in the middle. But at 18 years old, I would be much less likely if someone offered me $700,000 versus like a college decision to Consider it from the standpoint of I don't know how much money 700K is, where 24-year-old me, who's two years in the working world, I'd probably become a drug mule for $700,000. Like, it's it's crazy. They're making these real-world decisions without the real-world experience, whereas, like, me at 24, when I got out of school and had a real job for a couple of years, I'm like, holy cow, I would literally do anything for $700,000 right now, where I feel like 18-year-old me would just be so ignorant as to how much money that actually is that I would probably consider the alternatives more, if that makes any sense. It, it would not be a long list of things you wouldn't do for $700,000, is there? Like it, it, My first job at Super Talking Radio and someone's like, you need to do X for seven hundred grand." i would be like, like, short of murder, okay, maybe I'd do it. Where at 18 years old, I'd be like, yeah, that didn't sound great. You just kind of gain life experience when you get out in the working world and stuff, but you're asking these kids to make decisions like this without having that sort of experience, which is a fascinating dynamic to me. This is not fair. We don't know so many different things. We're counting on development in so many different ways. But if you had to be in Vegas and somebody said, hey, set the SEC win total for Ole Miss baseball next year, knowing what you know right now, where would you put it? 14 and a half. Where would you put it? I today I would have an inability to go higher than that. That feels a little high. I would actually contemplate 13 and a half, 14. And that's probably actually the most fair part because we don't actually know what the roster is, but they're coming off a disastrous year. And I mean, as you as you know this, we lament every year about what a bear the SEC is. Nobody's dropping off. This league's not getting worse. Wes Johnson just got hired at Georgia. Like this league's not dropping off. And I think one of the things we found this year is like we thought Ole Miss minus the injuries is probably a pretty average team. When in reality, they missed on some guys. They were probably a below average team. And it wasn't even the fact that they were just so much worse than we thought they were. Every single weekend on their schedule, it's like, well, how do you actually find two wins this weekend? Mm -hmm. So that almost has to be taken in the calculus as well, where it's like, well, every single team minus Mizzou is pretty damn, it's pretty damn good. And Mizzou wasn't awful, and they don't even care. I don't know how to grade transfers for the most part. Um, it's an it's an inexact science. LSU won the national title because three of their four transfers hit in in huge ways. Thatcher Hurd, Tommy White, Paul Skeens all hit huge. They completely busted on Christian Little. So they went three out of four. Um, Florida transfers, guys they bought with NIL, all those different things, it hit. Um, Ole Miss, we'll see. But there's a lot of volatility, quite like Ole Miss football. We don't know exactly what Ole Miss football is going to be in a number of different ways because of the number of transfers year over year over year. I can only set over-unders based off development and off what I know is on the roster that has been proven, and that's why that number is what it is because everything that we come back to of, hey, if Ole Miss is really good next year, this is a thing. 
Well, the thing is that you really got a lot of development out of Grayson Saunier and J.C. Quinn and Sam DeCoyan and Will Furness and Judd Udermark and those kind of guys. And they just didn't show, you know, Furness was pretty good there for a while, but like they just didn't show it um, at a consistent elite level. Um, and they were just freshmen. It's never been tougher to pitch in the SEC. We've talked about that over a number of podcasts. I'm not going to belabor the point right now, but I think that's how I would have to set over unders. And then frankly, here's the other part of it. Unless you're a proven thing where I really know a lot about you, this isn't just about Ole Miss. This is about the curve that is SEC baseball. There's not many teams that I would be able to set their over-under higher than about 15 and a half. I was skeptical in LSU going into this year. I knew they had a very talented roster, but I was like, this is the SEC. I'd just like to see it. One of the things that I thought about the other day, and it's someone I was talking to, I think I was playing golf with them, and they brought up this point. Texas and Oklahoma coming in the SEC next year. Obviously, for college baseball, it'll be the year after next. Two pretty proud programs. Are we positive they're not going to suck? I think there's Are we positive a they're better Oklahoma than like to... Auburn and Alabama immediately? Are you sure? Texas, I don't think they're going to be as good as the name on the shirt. But they, look, they do go to Omaha a lot. I'm, I'm not going to rule out Texas. Um, sure. I think Oklahoma could be bad. I'll be, I'll be honest. I think Oklahoma, I know they played Ole Miss in the national title series. I get all that. But on an annual basis of what they can do over over, they just it is the fourth sport there. And it is really hard to compete when you're the fourth sport because the SEC takes this damn sport so seriously. It just it's a different world. You don't have Kansas to play one weekend where you can just kind of let your guard down. We talk about that in every sport. It's true in baseball too. If you had me buy or sell, I'm selling any Oklahoma baseball stock. I, you know, Skip Johnson's a good coach. They're they're not a bad program, but you better be a damn good program because it's not just the league cares. The league is getting better every day, every day. And you say fourth to be clear because what they have going on with softball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, uh, softball is by far a, a bigger deal at Oklahoma than baseball. It's not even close. Um, so I, I think they're they're definitely fourth there. Um. You know, what's interesting is you you complimented them, and I, I find this just fascinating, not that you're wrong or anything else. I thought in some ways Wes Johnson being hired at Georgia was a white flag. Ooh. I thought that was actually showing they don't care about, about it. Because they didn't hire a sitting head coach just, at a program that should never suck for any reason. But they do. They suck. Now, look, he has done a good job. He's done a good job out of the portal. I like the class they have coming in. They've grabbed several Power 5 guys. They've been able to hold on to Charlie Condon. They've been able to hard hold on to uh, Charlie Goldstein, the left-handed pitcher that Ole Miss was after. He's done a really good job, so I'm not saying he's not going to win. But when I look at overall commitment, they've done sort of a butcher job on Foley Field from a renovation standpoint. they got more stuff coming. They're really they're, they're at least trying administratively in some of those ways that are PR. But on the other side, they just paid $600,000 probably for a head coach. I don't know what he made, but I'm assuming six, $700,000 when everybody else is paying one, one and one, two and whatever. I mean, you're just not showing a financial commitment that you're ready to go out and really do that. So, I mean, look, if you can get the right guy and you can get the right guy cheap, then great. So maybe he's the right guy and we're going to look up three years ago. I'd be damn, that's something else. But just on its face, when I look at that, I just sort of go meh and move on with my day. I, there's just, there was nothing about it that was overly sexy to me. It's a great point. It's not something I'd really thought about because, right, like you would think a job like that, you could just pluck not literally whoever you wanted, but like why would you not kick the tires on Dan McDonald? He doesn't seem happy by any stretch. He got They got told no by the head coach at Campbell and then hired the pitching coach at LSU. 
wow, why is the head coach at Campbell being like, no, nah, I'm good. I don't want to go to Athens because they don't I mean, can't be anything other than the fact that it's like I'm not sure about the resources here, right? Yeah. Hey, we're not going to give you everything to compete, but you get to go play Tennessee and Florida and Vanderbilt in your division in South Carolina. Have fun. And oh, by the way, uh, Kentucky was in a super regional. Yeah, no kidding. That's a great way to put it. I don't mean to compare command near the podcast as we wrap up here, but I did see a very interesting tweet today. Uh, Brett McMurphy did the whole how Saw many this. games each team is favored in. And apparently, with whatever uh, site that uh, whatever metric this is, FanDuel, yeah. whatever the sports betting site they're associated with, Ole Miss is favored in 10 of 12 games, which to me, I mean, assuming unless I'm something, somebody knows something I don't. That would be everyone but Alabama and Georgia. What? Uh, how? To, how? That how means people... Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, I haven't. We haven't seen individual games, but that means Ole Miss is favored against Alabama, Georgia, or LSU. Yeah, one of the three, which seems absolutely wild. And the fact that they go to Auburn again, I don't. I get it. Auburn probably won't be very good in year one, but you saw Hugh Freeze and what he did in year one at Ole Miss with a lot less talent. Like that was crazy to me. What did you guys think of that? I don't know if you discussed it on the pod. I can't. Like, I haven't listened yet, or I don't know if y'all did one, but that that was absolutely wild to me. Yeah, Neil sent it to me as something to to mark for when we come back on air eventually, just to kind of go over and look at some of those numbers. It's How is that possible? It surprises me on a couple different games. Um, if you, you could convince me that on paper they can be favored in nine, but I just had a hard time even giving them the LSU game, even though it's in Oxford, because yes. that has to be what it is. It has to be LSU and Oxford because the Ole Miss is at at Tuscaloosa and at Athens. Um, so that's that's it. But if you're telling me to set an over under on Ole Miss right now because of the schedule and how hard it is and just the unknowns, I'm seven and a half, eight. I can't get you any higher than that. I just can't. Do I'm it. at seven and a half. That's yeah. as high as I can go. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we got plenty of time to talk about it. We'll see more stuff. It is what it is, but that's sort of where I where I feel like that's at right now. So I don't know. Uh, you got a couple pods coming this week. Who are we talking to? So I got Colin that'll probably come out on Friday, and then I talked to Theo DeRosa, who used to cover Mississippi State, now is a writer researcher for freemlb.com. Um, I guess this is a decent closing topic. The one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him, one, it was the dead of summer and had a couple guests cancel on me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think we got Wilson Fur, Corn Ferry Tour player coming down the pipe. But one of the things I want to talk about with uh Theo DeRosa was so ever since I got back to Oxford, I've been flipping on Reds games every night. Um, I get them on Fubo that are actually technically in the network. I would say, particularly after the Cole Cubs 2016 World Series run. I really stopped watching a ton of Major League Baseball um, regularly by any stretch of the imagination. I've now moved in here. I feel like I'm a little bit settled in Oxford. MC's moved here. I think it's made it help. But like on a given night, I kind of like throwing on the Reds games. And it probably helps that they're the most exciting, surprising team in baseball right now. But I kind of just asked him, about like, why are people like me doing this? It's probably because the rule changes. It's probably because of the pitch clock. But I'll probably watch the Reds on a nightly basis. They don't really affect my day. I don't give a shit if they win or lose. But I just find it fascinating. I kind of know the announcers. I don't really know any of the players because none of them are the same when I was there. But, like, why is someone like me who liked baseball that kind of grew away from the major league game coming back to it this year? And that's something I talked to him about because I'm kind of fascinated by it. It just feels like a – it feels like a summer home for the lack of a better phrase. It almost feels like a club you're joining every night and you get to go in and 
you know, listen to them talk about the games and stuff like that. And I was just very fascinated by that piece of it. Why someone in North Mississippi is just like, I like watching Reds games every single night. Other than the fact that Ellie De La Cruz is awesome. Did he mention the clock as a reason? Yeah. Pitch clock, yeah. huge games yeah. being two hours and 40 minutes. And it's not just the fact that like n- no fan looks at it and says, well, I don't want to spend three hours there, but two hours and 40, you got me. It's just yeah. the more the way it looks. It's the more action within that, and we can only measure that in game time being shaved down. But it's just it's more appealing product to watch. I don't know. You're a baseball guy, primarily college. I know you were a Braves guy. You had to detach yourself from that, other than having a heart attack at age thirty, from what it sounded like. But like, have you watched more Major League Baseball this year? I've just found the product a lot more appealing. I have found myself being really interested in the sport overall. I haven't necessarily yeah. turned it on as much night tonight, but I pretty much know what the Braves are doing. I pretty much know what the Orioles are doing because I find them really interesting. Um, there's several teams that I just am definitely finding myself following enough that if they're on, I'm paying attention and I've got something going on. And it's not just simply because the Braves are on pace to win 110 games or whatever it is they've got going on there in Atlanta. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of reasons for it. It's the Reds. It's the young talent. It's the clock. It's – Look, no no offense anybody. It's also the college baseball season ended a little earlier for me than usual, so yeah. I wasn't as burnt out. There was no postseason. June had me just sort of watching sports. I mean, I think that was one fun thing that I had just in general was, now look, I'd rather be covering it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, 2022 was much more fun than 2023. But there is something to not worried about the bracket or the next game, and you're just kind of hanging out watching baseball, and you get to enjoy it in a different way. So I, I, I do think that hit me in, in a couple different um, – I guess ways that I did not expect there with uh, with watching baseball from pro level and the college level as as things were wrapping up. But yeah, no, I'm going to be all into the pennant races, going to be all into the postseason. I'm it, it is it is helped in a number of ways. I think it probably does make it a little more of a national sport than it has been, where you're not just focused on rosters and teams if they're in your area. You're just kind of interested in baseball and prospects and everything at all all the way around there. I, I think that's definitely. Uh, I think that's definitely true. So uh, you've uh, you've got two more coming. We'll talk to uh, hopefully some again some golf stuff on the horizon as well. Neil and I'll be back uh, next week with our normal uh, slew of podcasts for you. Maybe I get back with Brian too. I got a couple of topics we didn't get to today, but time is up on that. So maybe we'll hit those another segment number show here uh, here soon. But thanks for everybody. Thanks for coming back for uh, this one. Check in for Rippy, Rippy Wrights for his two shows coming later in the week, or actually one of them before this one airs as well. So take care. Have a good day. And we'll talk to you again soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.